0: Welcome to the Innovation and Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Jason Corey, the Senior Director for Emerging Technologies at Red Hat. Jason, welcome to the program. Jason, good to see you. Let me set a little bit of context for our discussion today. It's been almost four years since the Office of Management and Budget launched their Code.gov platform, where agencies can post open source and promote reuse. While this definitely wasn't the beginning of the use of open source across government, a recent survey shows that interest in using secure, community-based code obviously is growing. The survey respondents from the 25 largest agencies found, generally speaking, open source provided a way to build community around the software, to create development efficiencies, to demonstrate competencies, and to view code as being beneficial to the public. Now at the same time, respondents also continue to have concerns about open source. These included areas around scope alignment, changes in work practices, risk avoidance, specifically cybersecurity risk, and the need for permissions to use the code themselves. Now, despite these continued what we'll call culture hesitations about open source, there are plenty of examples from NASA to the Smithsonian Institution, to, to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, to the Defense Department, who are finding value from using open source software. And now with the surge and the acceleration of the move to the cloud, open source can play actually a bigger role for all agencies and that's where our guest comes in and, gonna, and he's gonna tell us how that works. Once again, my guest is Jason Corey, the Senior Director for Emerging Technologies at Red Hat. Now Jason, let me just start at the surge for telework, the search for cloud services. It all comes back to the coronavirus pandemic and how agencies have been able to react, transform and, and continue to meet mission. Just initially, what are you seeing from your customers? How has the digital transformation, IT modernization, whatever we're gonna call this, really been impacted uh, by, by, the, by the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I no, appreciate it. Again, I uh, hope everybody's safe these, these crazy times. So I think, you know, the observations we're seeing across both the federal and state and local markets are, are really around acceleration of, of projects that really clients wanted to uh, begin prior to the pandemic that because now of things like telework and, you know, the need to do things like auto scale uh, are really just being accelerated. So I think I mean the obvious ones that are, have been across the news are just You know, things like cloud technologies and some of the, you know, scalability and both flexibility of those, of those offerings. And I think the other, the other thing we're seeing a lot of is, is automation, right? I think people recognize now that, you know, the more you can automate uh, technologies to do things on their own, the the quicker you can adapt. And in these times, adaptation is really, really the key. So, you know, I think there's there's been projects that have been held up <clears throat> that now are, are moving much faster, and I think there's even some of the cultural uh, points you you mentioned during the open. I think those are being broken down too, right? Is you know things like security and you know what are what are things just like you know tele telemedicine and um, you know telework present in that construct uh, are really being kind of viewed a little differently because the risk reward ratios has
0: shifted. You bring up an interesting point about the risk-reward ratio, and I think that's really important. I think one of the things the pandemic has done, you know, specifically initially and then, and then into the, the next few months as, as people adapted, is, okay, what's the reward? How can we make sure we get to applications, make sure we get the data we need, make sure that we are doing the things we need to do to meet mission versus, well, well if, we're not, if we take that off-prem or, if we, well, if we don't move that to the cloud, w- w- that could hurt us in some way and the security risk is too high. Do you think that's been among the biggest changes is that relooking at the risk reward ratio?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you, when you really think about the decisions that all of our government clients have to make, I mean, there's always really strong intentions, right? They want to do the best things for citizens, for the mission. um, But they have challenges. I mean, you know, budgets are, are a big piece of that. And, you know, the, the risk reward ratio when it comes to that really is, is a focal piece, right? So I think what, what we've seen is that, whether it's you know in the DoD space or in the civilian market or in, or in state and local, um, people recognize that hey, we have to forward invest in some of these capabilities uh, because you know who knows what tomorrow is going to hold I mean uh, and, I, and I do think sometimes when you look at that risk reward ratio and even something as simple as moving to the cloud, you know, it's costly, it's disruptive it, you know there's a lot of change on the process side that has to happen. Um, but again the benefits you get of doing that are, you know, your unemployment website will auto scale, right? When you go from 6,000 requests to 313,000 requests a day, which is some of the things that you know, we're seeing in some of our customer bases. So, you know, I think it's a positive, um, but at the same time, we're also really cognizant of, you know, there, there's risk that it gets introduced when you try and go faster. And you know, that's, that's really the role Red
0: Hat's tried to play within that ecosystem, balancing the two. Let's talk a little bit about that that balance because I think one thing that as agencies move to modernize their applications, move to the cloud, that risk reward and the balance of it is really key. And I think as you talked about something that Red Hat tries to do, open source can, can play a big role in that risk reward balance. Talk maybe a little bit about how you're seeing customers and or people in the public sector starting to use open source to balance that risk reward ratio.
1: Yeah, I mean, so when we talk about open source, I like to to frame it in three three different ways because open source is, is kind of like the term cloud, right? It's very, very broad. So I think about it as both, you know, the natural thing people think about is the development model, right? So the way software is created via an open source development model. Um, and then the output of that is oftentimes, right, technology that's used across the enterprise now. So, you know, it's the development model. It's a type of technology. And then increasingly over the last six to seven years, we've seen a shift in, in customers of really, it's also a way to organize and it's a leadership construct, right? For this new kind of information age where adaptability is important and, you know, voicing of ideas and, you know, being transparent uh, becomes more and more important. So, so I think, you know, with each of those, uh, Red Hat has tried to, to play a role, right? So obviously on the open source development model, we're, we're a 27 year old company now that really helped to to found the concept around open source. I mean, most people still associate Red Hat with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, but as technologies across cloud, virtualization, AI have sprung up, the majority of those innovations are coming from open source development, open source communities. And that's had a natural shift for really kind of what the vendor community looks like right now, right? Like you know, in 1993, we were one of the only open source enterprise uh, software companies, but now every major uh, vendor that government clients will work with have an open source practice or open sh- uh, open source uh, capability. So I think you know that technology has really, really kind of come a long way. And then on the organizational side of it, that that is an area where you know we believe open source applies to areas outside of technology, whether it's, you know, medicine or, uh, you know, education. So, you know, our CEOs written books around how to organize around op- the concepts for open. Uh, and I think when you go back to really understand trends around agile development and, uh, you know, they're very similar, right? So I think what's, being, what's happening over the last five or six years is that concepts that have been in, in open source development communities for a long time are now being applied to, the marketing department and the operations team and how we do logistics right in in different different ways. So and I think in all three of those the development model the technology and you know the broader discussion around mo- organizational models you know we we've, we've played a really active role.
0: I love the analogy you made around agile and devsecops and things like that where a lot of the practices in open source now are being just moved into these other areas and, and I think that's why maybe the risk reward ratio is starting to change because because i think agencies are are more comfortable understanding well we've like we had success with agile we brought people in we brought in the user we've talked about user journeys and in many ways that's what open source when the development side the tech side was all about was get more brains in the room to help solve the problem do you think that's why in some ways and again i use this quite often the silver lining in this pandemic is this acceleration of digital transformation that they're able to do it fast because there was an urgency but also there's this comfortability that has developed because of these other concepts like you described yeah
1: no i, I think that's 100 true and, and i think you know you can see it on even things like super bowl commercials right where like developers are prominently kind of showcased but but i think and i had a conversation uh with my son this morning who's, who's 12 and he was asking me questions about technology and I was explaining to him, you know, with the DoD, we, we work on a lot of mission systems and weapon systems, and he's like, well, why does Red Hat talk to people that build missiles or or or, or tanks or any of these things? Like when and I and I said, well, because all of those are are software, right? Like yes, there's you know a certain um, a certain level of of, of hardware and, and weapons weaponry and, and so forth, but but everything that we touch now is software, and that really has, I think, driven, really start to be understood, but that's what's driven sort of the rise of like how agile can be applied to these. And because such great software has been developed via these, uh, via these same methodologies, now people are really opening up the, uh, the aperture of how can it be applied to other, other areas of, uh, of the organization um, to really drive in that adaptability. Um, and I think that's a really important term, right, is, how can you be more adaptive and be faster? So most of what we see around you know our technology, like we deliver platforms pr- pr- predominantly, right, and then we help customers build uh, capabilities on top of those. But a lot of them are about increasing data-driven decisions, right, or increasing like speed to capability with you know fielding of of a, of a certain capability, both in the civilian or the DoD markets or uh, you know state and local. So. So I think it's, it, you gotta kind of peel it back to figure out like, well, yes, you need these platforms. And I like to describe them as like platforms for progress, right? Like the platforms by themselves don't do anything. <laughs> it's about, you know, how do they help you make progress in a specific, you know, uh, mission area that you really, you know, are trying to drive that speed.
0: Let's talk maybe a little bit more about what you're starting to see in the use of open source across government. My introduction, obviously, I, I highlighted some of the, the concerns and specifically the Code.gov effort, which is obviously is almost four years old, launched in November of 2016. But as I mentioned, open source is not new. It's not like all of a sudden someone at OMB, the federal CIO at the time, Tony Scott said, oh, let's do open source. It's been used by DoD and others for, for, for decades. Give me a sense of where we are today. What's some of the trends you're seeing around the use of open source software and technology? Yeah, so
1: so I think the simplest way to describe it is like, Clients now view open source the same way they view COTS. And what I mean by that is they're not really, they're not as concerned with like questions on security. Like I've been at Red Hat 10 years. And, you know, prior to that, I've worked in the DoD for a long time. When I first got to Red Hat, I spent most of my time kind of describing like why we believe open source is more secure and, you know, how it should be viewed on the same playing field as like, you know, proprietary COTS solution that they, they may be looking at. But I think it's shifted more now to, we understand, you know, especially with companies like Red Hat, that these products are very secure and they're very capable. So it becomes more about the features and then the outcomes that they're really trying to get to. Um, So I think on the topic of open source in general, that's where we are. And that's a really, really good place. I think uh, more broadly, now they're trying to determine, you know, whether it's app modernization or, you know, moves to the cloud or different data initiatives, uh, because data really is kind of becoming the next you know, the next focal point in my mind, uh, and we're doing a lot of work there. But I think now it's about trying to apply these things together, right? So how do you take cloud and, you know, maybe some data technologies and what we're trying to do in an agency, like put them together to really build a capability quickly. So, and then the last thing we are seeing quite a bit of is, people work with Red Hat not just for the technology, they're very interested, again, in this sort of business model, this organization model. You know, How do you incentivize people in like a remote environment that maybe don't work for your company, right? All these are like very common things that Red Hat and open source communities have been doing for a long time. So a lot of the meetings I have with executives around the Beltway and a lot of our system integrator partners focus more around like the skills piece and how to organize and how to attract talent because you know, that's really the, the secret ingredient these days.
0: All right. Well, there's plenty more to dig out of there. We can even talk more about skill sets and how you organize around using open source principles after the break. First, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Discussion Innovation and in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on Federal News Network. Kubernetes is the standard
1: for orchestrating containers and applications, whether on-premise or across a variety of cloud providers.
0: Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat, the leading provider of enterprise support of Kubernetes. Agencies have been using Red Hat OpenShift container platform to modernize applications and develop cloud-native applications that scale and run in multiple clouds. Learn how open-source
1: technologies can help you move your mission forward and adapt quickly during these uncertain times. To learn more, visit redhat.com/gov.
0: Welcome back, you're listening to the discussion Innovation and in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jason Corey, the Senior Director for Emerging Technologies at Red Hat. Jason, before break, we were talking a little bit about the, the three parts of open source. You talked about technology, you talked about development, and then organizational, and how agencies and organizations more broadly are starting to apply these concepts of open source to organizational structure, to this idea of Agile and DevSecOps. Take me to the next level down maybe and, and walk me through how that might work. What should agencies know about applying these concepts more broadly to non, if you will quote unquote, technology areas?
1: Yeah, no, so I think the, the best way to describe it is in the planning phase. I think what we've seen is an evolution of, of clients really doing you know, five year, six year, like very long term planning and doing, you know, much shorter term planning. And I think that's a very simple thing for people to understand, right? When you look at how iterative development is done in an open source community, that's, it's done very iteratively. So, you know, really shrinking back and doing more shorter term planning is, is is one element of that. Then I think that there's, there, there are several practices that, you know, seem very common that when I talk to a lot of uh, non-technical audiences, like, you know, they seem surprised by. So things like social contracts, right? That's a that's a practice in agile where the group working on something together comes up with, you know, some norms and some, uh, you know, commitments they'll make to each other throughout the you know collaborative process they're about to embark on. And, you know, I think we've all we're all familiar with like working groups and how you know, the government, you seem to see them pop up a lot, right? Like, oh, we're going to do working group on cloud or AI. Um But then every time there's a meeting maybe they send a different representative from from each each department or each each agency right so something in the social contract could be hey we're going to make a commitment to each other to like attend every meeting we can and if we have to send a delegate it's going to be rare you know something as simple as that can really build continuity and you get a lot of progress out of doing that so that's another uh practice that really comes from agile or open source that's that's being applied and then I think to get a little when you start to get a little more complex, people are starting to recognize if you want to do DevSecOps or DevOps, whatever, whatever term, you do have to create some form of a software factory. Like we've worked a lot with customers to build, we call it the trusted software supply chain. Like how can you develop software-based capabilities in a rapid fashion, but still have that integrity around security um, and you know, ensure that you're even building the right product right, for uh, for the use case. So I think those are the three, the three things I would point to that, we, that we've that we really been observing. And, you know, there's countless agencies and, and really even a lot of our system integrator partners that are, because they're, they're doing a lot of the app development today, right? So, you know, they're really building some of these software factories and trusted software supply chain with us uh, for, for government customers.
0: There's been a big push for that trusted software factories. I know the Air Force is a big uh, development shop around software I know Social Security Administration the other thing you said that really is interesting to me is the planning and, and I spoke recently to to a, a, someone in the community and they said agencies and, and more broadly I think any organization should no longer look at these five year plans especially when it comes to IT modernization and really take a full step back and say what is working today based on the pandemic and the acceleration of digital transformation that's happened and what isn't working and how can we fix that in the next three, six, nine months? Because it's those things that aren't working today that really need to work because that, that's, it became obvious during the pandemic. Do you get a sense that this approach to agile DevSecOps, this approach to you know, kind of bringing more people together is starting to, to, to move agencies in that direction of the, that shorter term planning to say, what's our most immediate need that we need to fix because of whatever urgency is happening?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that is a framework to do planning and then part of it is prioritization, right? So I'm actually going to be meeting with some Army officials tomorrow and, you know, they're pretty open to say there's about 685 major programs in the Army, but there's their 31 plus three that really are the, are, are the focal point for some of their modernization efforts. So I think, you know, just going through the process of really figuring out where should you apply 80 percent of your time and resourcing uh, is important. And then, you know, I, I also think that when you get into this, this planning discussion, you really have to understand what the, what the time horizon is and how you want to break something up. Because like most open source communities or, uh, you know, even groups that really follow agile pr- principles, it's not like they're trying to do less. They're just breaking it apart in much smaller, uh, smaller chunks. So, you know, you get into the idea of, you know, microservices are that, right? It's how do you take a large monolith application, but you build it incrementally and then provide reuse. So I think for for us, you know, you got to have kind of the front side done. Then you got to really figure out like what are the, um, you know, the milestones and the size of what you want to work on. And then this skills piece gets really important, right? Because you can have all the planning done, but if you don't have the resources to go actually execute it quickly, you'll run into issues. Uh, and I think the government's taken huge strides over the last, you know, five years, because that, that gets us very quickly into this whole acquisition discussion, right? Like, how do you how do you do things quickly when you have, you know, this this acquisition framework and you know FARs that you have to follow? So, so I think um, that's really helped. And I think some of the success, like you pointed uh, to Air Force and like some of the other groups doing this, like we, we've been involved in all those, uh, and a lot of it comes because they're also bringing along the acquisition community, the security community. Uh, and it's collaborative effort to do this
0: uh, faster. When we talk about doing things faster, we got to then talk about the cloud. And I think that's that's an important piece to this discussion because agencies can't have that three to six-month time frame or nine-month time frame to improve digital transformation, improve digital services without at least some piece of the cloud. How does open source and cloud fit together? Walk me through because I think a lot of people may say, well, if I'm on Azure, if I'm on AWS, if I'm using the IBM cloud, which... I know you guys are uh, probably big fans of, they say, well, that's not open source anymore. That's a specific proprietary cloud. Help me understand how the two fit together.
1: Yeah, so I think, again, there's different layers to this. Like, if you, A good thing to point out to, to the listeners and viewers is that most clouds are built on a lot of open source technologies, right? Because when you get into things like the economics of, of it and the performance of what cloud providers need at that hyperscale, like open source has been the, um, you know, the, the engine to kind of do that. I think the way Red Hat's viewed it and, and, I, and the more I talk to clients, I, I think they, they agree with this strategy as well Is like cloud is not just about like public cloud, which is, you know, immediately our minds probably go to, like you said, the AWS is the Amazons of the world. Um, you can absolutely build a private cloud. And we've got a lot of examples of, of working with uh, with customers to do that. Some Sometimes it's a security reason. Sometimes it's, it's a cost reason. Um, and then they're absolutely going to, so I think for, for most executives that I talk to, there's kind of this choice, right? They're 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 balancing. It's like, well, I can go all in with a cloud provider, or maybe two cloud providers, or I can potentially build, um, you know, a private cloud-like capability. And I think the reality they're coming to is that, yeah, if you're doing an analytics project, maybe you're going to use Google Cloud, right? And if you are going to do, you know, Office 365, you're obviously going to have some stuff going on with Microsoft. But there's a whole, you know, large group of applications and data that. You know, are going to be on-premise for a long time, so, so they need this hybrid capability, and that's you know been our strategy for you know probably at least the last nine years. So you know everyone knows Red Hat for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, um, and it's been a, it was a great operating system to allow customers to have choice for their x86 hardware, right? If you wanted to run Dell or HP or IBM, whatever, as long as you were running OpenShift, you could kind of pick your own hardware platform. Uh, OpenShift, which is our container-based uh, Kubernetes offering, is kind of that for clouds, right? So you can run that on different cloud providers, and if you have that level of abstraction, you know you can move workloads around and different things. And it gets back again to that skills piece, right? Is it is if you have a common understanding of how to administer and even develop applications in OpenShift, no matter what cloud you're in, your own cloud or you know a public cloud provider, you'll have that same kind of experience. So So I think that's uh, that's been our observation. You know, different clients will call it like operating system of the cloud, but but that's what it's about, right? It's about creating separation between a hardware piece of hardware you might have bought in 1990, and then now you know the new hardware, which is is a cloud provider of some kind.
0: You mentioned containers. You mentioned Kubernetes. Let's talk about application modernization because I think that's the other piece that's going on here. It's one thing to say we're going to move to the cloud, but it's really all about what are you doing in the cloud and how do you take that legacy app, that outdated application, and modernize it in some way. What's the, what are you starting to see from your clients around application modernization? That's, to me, really where the the rubber hits the road when it comes to modernization.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, the first thing when it comes to modernization is really helping clients determine, is this something you can evolve or do you need to start from scratch? And, you know, I think most government customers immediately think, like, they can start to modernize something. Um, but sometimes it does make sense, right, to capture the data, pre- present that data to a new application that you build. Um, so I think that's the first question is like, do you modernize or build new? Um, the other thing I think that we see is most of the modernizations will obviously involve cloud, right, whether it's high, uh, public or private. And I think people have gravitated towards containers uh, of some kind because of the portability aspect of it. But then also the density aspect of it. If you think back to kind of the 90s, right, when people really were starting to get into uh, virtualization, the ability to run multiple applications on a single piece of hardware was was significant. And now, when you look at what the density levels you can get with containers are, that's a benefit too. And I think that really dials us back to, like, why do cloud providers use things like Kubernetes? Why did Google invent Borg, which eventually evolved to Kubernetes? So, um, you know, I think the decisions up front are important. Um, definitely container based technologies. I think what across the board, whether it's the vendor communities or the open source communities, um, Kubernetes is one, right? Like we were really early in on the Kubernetes and, uh, and Docker kind of, kind of shift. And and that's because we were so involved in the open source communities. Like we saw the trends that were happening there, um, you know, five, six years ago and really, really kind of invested in that area. So, so I think, you know, that's, that's kind of how I view app modernization. We've been working with a lot of integrators. Um, you know, we just finished a two-year modernization of a really large um, SEC application, which I think we're gonna talk about during our government symposium in November. Uh, so come, come listen uh, about that because, you know, a lot of it's about breaking these monoliths into those microservices that I mentioned. And that provides a lot of flexibility. It's a very natural fit for things like containers. And, you know, it, it, but it does present some challenges, right? Like you got to be able to monitor, you know, a thousand different microservices versus, you know, one monolith. Um, so uh, hopefully that answers the question for you, Jason.
0: It does. It helps. And I look forward to hearing more about the, um, the case study because those tend to be the, the, really the where, where you see some good progress. Uh, Jason, we're almost out of time. Before I let you go, what's the one or two things as agencies continue down this path, the short-term goals they should keep in mind, about whether it's open source or cloud or or application modernization? What's the one big takeaway from our discussion today?
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, uh, as you've heard during this discussion, I mean, open source is a a large portion of of this, whether it's the technology, the development model, or even the organizational construct. And, you know, Red Hat's been in this space for over 25 years. I think what I would always advise clients is, you know, you don't have to work with Red Hat, but you have to have a trusted partner that really understands uh, all those dynamics. And when you think about open source and even cloud, you got to think about exit costs. Like, you know, what would happen if, you know, God forbid, you're a cloud provider, increased costs by X, or what would happen if Red Hat did did something? Because uh, we spend a lot of time on that. Then you got to look at things like code contribution. Like, how much code contribution does your vendor have in these open source communities? You know, how many customers do they have actually running this? And that's really when when we look at measurement of Red Hat uh, as a company, we look at customer outcomes, you know, customers by different technology areas, but most importantly, it's about our contributions and you know, what are we putting uh, back
0: upstream into the communities that can do, do good things. All right, good advice, lots to consider here. Unfortunately, though, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest, Jason Corey, is the Senior Director for Emerging Technologies at Red Hat. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you, Jason, stay well. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Innovation and in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation and in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.